you'd be surprised what's what's in these products because they're trying to disinfect the mouth. Do you want to disinfect the gut? Take antibiotics. Same thing right. in the mouth, right? It's ridiculous. Hey guys, welcome back to the Digest This Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Cameron, and today we are talking all about the oral microbiome. I have Mark Burheen on the show, and he is a retired dentist and now focusing on educating the public on functional dentistry and how to care for their oral health with a natural and preventative approach. We talk all about the oral microbiome and how it truly does affect our entire body, what the number one cause of cavities are, what we are doing wrong when it comes to our oral health, and how to take measures into your own hands by preventing infections before they happen. And so much more is covered. You guys don't want to miss a single minute. Did you know you swallow 5 to 7% of toothpaste every single time you brush your teeth? That's an entire blob of toothpaste every seven days. And most commercial toothpastes are filled with harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, preservatives, titanium dioxide, and dyes. And I often get asked on my Instagram what toothpaste I recommend. And for a while, I was trying to find one with better for you ingredients and something that actually made my mouth feel great. Because I've tried so-called non-toxic toothpastes, but I never felt like they were actually getting the job done, if you know what I mean. And they didn't even leave my mouth feeling fresh. But I'm so glad to have stumbled across Bite Toothpaste. These are actually tablets you put in your mouth and bite down on to start your brushing experience. Bite toothpaste bits are so convenient, you just pop a bit in your mouth, chew it up, and start brushing. It will turn to a paste just like you're used to, but with no plastic tube or messy paste. It took a few times for me to get used to it because my entire life I've been using a paste, but now I love them. I also love their mouthwash bits because I can carry these tablets wherever I go and do a quick rinse even in my car. Bite also now has a natural teeth whitening kit. So if you've been looking for a natural toothpaste without the paste, try Bite toothpaste tablets that come in glass jars to help reduce plastic waste and experience what I and so many others are obsessed with. Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash digest or use code digest at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash digest. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. Very welcome. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've had a lot of people ask me about oral health and getting someone on here with a holistic approach to oral health and hygiene. And so I'm so glad that you are here to really just share with my audience that other end of the spectrum. And so without further ado, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about who you are first? Well, I'm a retired dentist, uh, retired from clinical work. And in the last three, four years, I've really tried to spend more time on influencing. Uh, I am an oral health influencer. I've uh, been doing this for about 10, 15 years. Uh, my daughter and I started this company called Ask the Dentist. Uh, and so we have a, a big presence, uh, websites, podcasts, uh, Instagram. And I'm very passionate about the style of dentistry that that we talk about on, on, on these platforms. And that is called functional dentistry. Um, and what's happened over time is that we've educated a whole bunch of people. Uh, again, this is something that I've been doing for 35 years. And my daughter kind of noticed the difference at some point. She would work summers at the practice and and she would hear me speak with patients. And after her experience at Google and Twitter and Facebook, she said, Dad, we got to get you online. So that's what we've been doing for 15 years. And basically talking about and educating viewers, uh, listeners, followers about functional dentistry. And 
you know, everyone, others will say holistic, integrative, but the, I think the big, plat, the the big umbrella term for that is functional. It's root cause. It's uh, treating upstream, not just looking at symptoms, but understanding symptoms for what they are and trying to figure out what is causing the problem. For example, instead of always just explaining what's the best way of filling a cavity, that's important and we need good clinicians, but what what can we do to prevent that cavity from forming? Can we, if it's a small cavity, can we remineralize it? And then what caused the cavity? Why, why do people keep coming in and getting their cavities filled. So, so that's, that's kind of what, what we're all about. I have a book on sleep. I did specialize in sleep medicine, sleep dental medicine. It's a category now. Um, and these are all things that I've, I've actually experienced sleep apnea, my wife and in the family, but also everyone seems to have cavities and gum disease. It's a very prevalent, uh, you know, uh, uh, disease, uh, oral health is very prevalent in our society. And uh, there, there's no, it doesn't need to be that way. In fact, it wasn't that way, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. So definitely want to get that message out and talk about new things in dentistry, like the oral microbiome and, and all definitely. of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have so many things and topics to cover and let's just start because things have changed from hundreds of years ago. And you're wondering why do people have more cavities, more mouth issues, the, the mouth microbiome and digestion does start in the mouth. That's first of all. Um, but you did mention cavities. So let's just die, let's talk about cavities. So are carbs the number one cause of cavities? Because I know they are the main source of feeding yeast infections. Right. Well, carbs are definitely part of the equation. Carbs, sugar, processed foods. Uh, I like to pick on, you know, like goldfish and saltine crackers, obviously candy and and all that. The reason I discuss crackers a lot is because we don't think of it as a cavity uh, causing food. But it's it's more complicated than that. And of course, the profession has always said, don't eat candy. That's after we've served you fresh hot, hot chocolate chip cookies in the waiting room. And right, here's your lollipop, you know. The lollipop after you've had yeah. a successful visit, of course, exactly. A again, if you look at it from a functional standpoint and you look at the bigger picture, it's more than just carbs. So carbs, I would... I, for me, carbs are not the number one reason for decay. It's uh, it's diet um, in terms of how it interacts with the oral microbiome, and the oral microbiome is something that we haven't been talking about very long. It's a it's an organism that is living in us, much like the gut microbiome, and the state of that, the health of that, whether it's dysbiotic or commensal or symbiotic, these are all terms we use. But if it's healthy, you could probably process those carbs and not and not get cavities. Uh, if you have a dry mouth, for example, a dry mouth will accelerate the effect that carbs have in terms of producing decay because the pH of your saliva is down. If you don't have a lot of saliva, uh, the the acidic effect of eating foods is accentuated. Uh, acid dissolves tooth structure. That's essentially how a cavity is started. Uh, it interferes with this equilibrium of the teeth, demineralizing and remineralizing, which is going on right now in all of our mouths. But if remineralization is winning out over demineralization, then you won't get a cavity. The, the teeth are always trying to fix themselves and it, they, the teeth need saliva for that to happen. So, so to say that it's just something you eat, it's way too simplistic. Um, I have a list out there on my website on number one, number four, number one reasons uh, for decay. And, and mouth breathing is my number one because most of, most of us are doing it. 50% of us are breathing through our mouths and that affects the oral microbiome, reduces, as I said, the, the pH and that predisposes us to rampant decay where you, you need fillings. Your kids need fillings every time they see the dentist, uh, adults even. And we almost, it's, it's almost ubiquitous. We almost feel like it's normal. We eat food, we exist. We need a good dentist because we need to get our cavities filled. And that is not not the case. If we weren't mouth breathing, if we ate less processed uh, foods that were less processed, we would we would be fine. Number so number one is mouth breathing. If you're not a mouth breathe a mouth breather and you're able to breathe through your nose and you're 
oral microbiome is in good shape, then then it is diet. Uh, obviously, uh, there is an optimal diet for dentistry for dental health. And then number three is brushing and flossing. Biofilm management is what we call it. And tongue scraping. If you're not doing that properly, that adds to the equation. And then the last thing is genetics and epigenetics. There are external uh, factors that like uh, air pollution, for example, or allergies that would uh, prevent us from being able to breathe through our nose. So so there, there are lots of external factors. But so I, I hope I didn't you know, complicate things, but it's definitely not just one food, which is what we've been demonizing and, and, uh, like diet, like Coke, Coca-Cola, even Diet Coke. Those are products that are high in, in acid, low in pH, and they can dissolve tooth structure. So it's the whole gamut of many, it's multifactorial. Yeah. It's complicated. Well, I mean, you did answer a lot of questions here. So really the number one thing is mouth breathing. Uh, and then secondly is what we eat. And thirdly is actually hygiene. Right. Yeah. Not number one. Uh, th that's kind of what, what dentistry is always, we're, we're trying to push the blame on the patient. That way we're not the bad guys. We're, we're profiting and, 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 you know, making lots of making our living from, from filling cavities and we're telling you it's your fault. You're not flossing and brushing enough. That that doesn't jive in, in my, it, the explanation that you should be getting is the one that I just gave you, that long-winded one uh, about how it's multifactorial. That's what needs to be understood by people that have oral health issues. Yeah, well, and our, our mouth is open to our body, which means it's constantly exposed, right? And so our mouth microbiome needs to be at optimum. So, cause that's literally the opening to our entire inside. Yeah. Uh, the whole alimentary tract, it is the beginning. It is the opening to respiration, to breathing. Uh, it is the opening and the beginning of digestion. Digestion does start in the mouth. That's why you want to chew your food slowly and make sure you have nice, sharp teeth at interdigitate properly so you can break down that food. If you can't do that and start breaking down some of the starches from, uh, you know, uh, enzymes that come out of your saliva glands in your mouth, then the stomach and the uh, duodenum uh, will have difficulty in digesting the food. It, it, you want you want to get that head start on digestion uh, so that you get more nutrients and, you know, processed food already has kind of messed that up. You know, we can, we swallow a lot of our food. It's so easy to to chew. In fact, we can oh, just yeah. gulp it down. It's so processed. People uh, our ancestors had it. to chew. They really had to chew, which had other beneficial effects like facial development in, in children. But but you're right. I mean, the mouth is a very unusual part of the body. I mean, what what part of the body can open or is open most of the time? I mean, while we're speaking here for an hour you know, our mouths will dry out a little bit. Uh, they are taking in a lot of air. We're not nose breathing as much. Uh, that has effects in the nasal biome. It has has effects in the oral microbiome. Um, I mean, the mouth is an open petri dish. You know, the gut is a closed petri dish. There are differences. There's more oxygen. That, the bacteria that are in the oral microbiome, over 700 different species, are different, as you would expect, from other biomes because the mouth has a different environment. It's exposed to more. It, it, and there's also greater variability. You can sleep all night with your mouth closed, and that's great for the oral microbiome. Saliva flow is is good. pH is stable. There's not a lot of dry air coming in and out and pulling away the moisture. That should be happening through the nose breathing, which bypasses the mouth. But then what's the other side of that? We breathe with our mouths open all night long. Most people, even if you can nose breathe, most people, their mouths will fall open and you're drying out. That's why we wake up with dry mouths in the morning. We take that for granted. Or you're, or you're taking a drink at 3 a.m. because you're you're dry. You feel like you're dry, uh, thirsty. Mm -hmm. But it's really uh, it's how we're breathing. So so the, you're absolutely right, Bethany. The mouth is is crazy, unusually crazy in all aspects compared to the rest of the body. And maybe that's why dentistry is is its own entity, which. I think has has a lot of drawbacks. It's it's part of the body. It's and yeah. it's integrated to the body. The oral systemic connection, and we treat it um, with a different uh, curriculum and different training and and different schooling and a different degree. And and that's that's wrong. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people they like you said they uh, compartmentalize it and they don't think that it's really part of the, the medical health system or part of the rest of your body. Which I want to bring up yeast infections in our body and do 
do yeast infections actually start in the mouth? Well, they, they can start in the mouth. Uh, I mean, if you have like a, you can have yeast infections in your armpits, you can have vaginal yeast infections, you can have yeast infections in between your toes. And there are lots of places where you can get yeast infections and they may or may not be connected uh, directly, but yeast infections are very common in the mouth. And because it's a great place for it to occur, it happens after, if you're on medication, of course, if you're immune suppressed, uh, if your mouth is open a lot, if you're eating, you can feed that yeast. So the 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 yeast is already in your oral microbiome. It is, we all have yeast cells. We have viruses, we have fungi, we have bacterial cells. That is what makes up the oral microbiome. And we even have the bacteria in our mouths that causes ulcers. Uh, that It's all there. We have the bacteria that cause uh, respiratory infections. Uh, and all of these bugs can kill us. They are in our mouth right now. And if the populations are under control, the ratios of the bugs to each other, it's kind of like a garden. The weeds are always there. You can pull a weed, but it's going to grow back, right? And But if your soil is in good health, and if the other healthy plants in your vegetable garden are kind of running the show, then these weeds won't have a chance. So so that's what the yeast cells are. They're weeds. They are already there. But if you give them a chance to, to proliferate, you're going to have a white-coated tongue. You're going to have terrible smelling breath. The rest of the oral microbiome will be affected. Uh, you're allowing one, I'm not going to call yeast cells pathogenic, but in certain numbers, and if they take over, they become pathogenic, then you're allowing them to run the show. And you know that can have effects throughout the body. Uh, yeast infections in the mouth can spread. The oral mucosa is one cell thick, like the gut lining. It can absorb things. So yeast cells can get absorbed into the bloodstream. I, I think about it too, is if you do have an infection in the mouth, I'm always like, you know, you obviously you're, you're swallowing. So then you're swallowing that infection that's in the mouth and it's going down into the rest of your body. Right. Well, true. Uh, the stomach is a filter. Uh, there is a connection between the oral and gut microbiome. We have more information on the one-way connection. First the mouth, and then it it's upstream and flows down into the gut. And for a long time, a lot of researchers said, oh, the bugs that are in, which is trillions of bugs, get swallowed every day in a liter or a liter or a half of saliva that we swallow. And they end up in the stomach. And a lot of the researchers thought, oh, um, stomach acids will take care of that. Well, it turns out that that's not true. And the body is very complex. And I have a lot of admiration for how complex it is and how well it works given good environment, right? Good food, good diet, um, <clears throat> good air quality, good lifestyle. Um, so what probably happens and what we're seeing in research that's coming out is that the right bugs make it because they are resistant to the stomach acids. And the stomach acids will vary as well. Um, so the question, to answer your question, the yeast cells probably are damaged by stomach acids. They are susceptible to stomach acids, but we don't really know. And that's possible. I'm more worried about the, when it comes to systemic involvement, where a yeast infection can affect the rest of the body. I'm more worried about the more classical mechanism of that connection. And that would be absorption through the oral mucosa, through the gums. If you have gum disease, for example, there are physical kind of um, barriers that have broken down if you have gum disease where the bacteria in the mouth can get into the bloodstream. So there is a connection, but it's very, it's very unclear as to whether yeast cells can actually get into the body by the stomach from saliva. Wow, so interesting. Well, while we're on the topic of the oral microbiome, can stress affect the oral microbiome? Boy, that is a great question. And I don't get that question too often. And there's very little research on it. There's one very recent study out of Japan. I think it's the Japanese Dental Science Review, which is a great journal. It was more of like a, a meta, a kind of a systematic review of all studies in, in this regard. 
uh, and I think it's very recent. I think it was late last year that it came out, and I can give you the uh, the the link to that if you want. But yeah. but we know that there's an uh, there's that we know that there's an effect on the gut, psychological stress, and and there's again the gut microbiome's been around longer, and everyone considers that to be the microbiome. Actually, the oral microbiome is is number two in terms of diversity and overall importance. Although I would argue, and that's a different episode, uh, um, I would argue that the oral microbiome may be the big driver of of chronic disease. But but this Japanese uh, review is very interesting. And then again, it's inconclusive, but it brings up a lot of things. So it, it first talks about the gut-brain uh, axis, which is you know, where psychological stress kind of originates or is manifested. And then it, and then it tries to make a connection to, you know, does psychological stress affect the, the health of the biome in the mouth? And the answer is yes. We don't know how, but we do know that there are effects. For example, there are a lot of bugs that are either very low or very high when it comes to psychological disorders like depression, schizophrenia, manias. Neisseria was found to be positively correlated with cognitive functions. Uh, so it's one way or the other. It can be psychological stress takes down the oral microbiome, but it can also be where the oral microbiome is such that it has a good effect on your brain. Um, Fusobacterium observed in patients with depression. So those are reduced levels. It, it's not always necessarily an increase it, it, it's an altering of the ratios of all the bugs to each other in the mouth that seems to be correlating with um, psychological disorders, depression, anxieties, uh, or even phobias. And of course, again, it's multifactorial. Uh, there was one study that I think it was the, the bug was escordoni. There was a significant mm -hmm. reduction in escordoni in a in people that were challenged to climb a mountain in the Himalayas, and they were measured before, and then they were measured two, four, and six weeks later, and they saw the changes. Now, the reason I bring this study up is because it is multifactorial. When you're mountain climbing at high elevations, your your bloods, your O2 sats are affected. You may be breathing through your mouth more. That has an effect, drying out the mouth. You're exercising a lot. But it was interesting to see what bacteria were affected in numbers based on the mood of those climbers. And there was a lot of anxiety and fear on that climb. And then there was resolution of that two, four, and six weeks later once they got out and realized that they had made it. So it's a fascinating review, and it's it's a very long review. It's pretty comprehensive. But I think to answer your question, the answer is definitely yes. Psychological stress has a profound effect on the gut, but also on the oral microbiomes. And it would make sense. If it has an effect on the gut microbiome, you would think definitely oral microbiome. The problem is, is we really haven't sorted all of that out. Right. Well, I mean, that is interesting. And I would also just like to add too, because I, a lot of people, when they are stressed, they get acid reflux, right? Because it, their stomach is upset, they get acid reflux. And what does acid reflux do? It can damage your teeth. It could damage because th things are coming up, etc. So thinking about that. And also too, when you're stressed, at least for some people, when you sleep, you tend to clench your, your jaw, which can maybe affect the uh, the way your teeth are and, and things like that. Well, you, you bring agree? up a good point, Bethany, with the, let, let's say, so if you're under stress, there's a stress ulcer uh, connection. Um, and of course, that would be the gut uh, brain access perhaps. But remember, the the bacterium, uh, it's the E. pylori, I think, for, for stomach ulcers is in the mouth. And so if there's psychological stress, that could be elevated and that and that we know that an ulcer is affected by the bug in the mouth. And so if those levels are high, then that would explain that connection. But again, we don't have any proof of this yet. But but that would be that would be an example of that um that connection. I mean, psychological stress is another systemic factor that can affect the oral microbiome. And that's a perfect example. Well, let me talk about braces for a moment because I actually personally, I had metal braces as a child, like 12, 13 years old. Can those affect our overall health today from the metals? It's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I first of all, I would say you were lucky. You had metal braces as opposed to composite braces. I think the stainless steel brackets are safe. Of course, they're glued on 
in the old days, they used to be wrapped around with a band, and that was very destructive to the gum tissue. But you, your brackets probably were glued on, and 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 most people want and pay extra for the composite brackets. These are the brackets that engage the wire, and they get glued onto each tooth. Uh, so the glue itself is high in BPA. The composite brackets, which over time look terrible, they yellow, but. I guess you you want to hide the brackets, but you want everyone to see the wire. I mean, the wire is always metal in in terms of its color, its uh, appearance. But the less plastic you can put in your mouth, the better. So I think stainless steel brackets are safe. We are using a composite resin that is uh, could have BPA or BPA-like components in it. They we do have studies say that that does leak into the mouth and gets absorbed. By I mean, that's an endocrine disruptor for a young child. Uh, like for young women uh, around 10, 11, 12 years old, they're just about to get their period or maybe they had their period early. I mean, is it due to all the plastics that we're exposed to? Absolutely, yes. Are plastic composite brackets part of that equation? Absolutely. I would, I would, I would definitely be wary of that. So stainless steel brackets, I think, are fine in themselves. And the wire does have some nickel, titanium in it. Not a problem. I, I think that's one of our least worries. But it's the glue that holds on the brackets. Did you know low magnesium levels make vitamin D ineffective and up to 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient? Magnesium also plays many other crucial roles in the body, such as supporting muscle and nerve function, as well as energy production and sleep regulation. My holistic doctor told me to start taking magnesium. I tried multiple pills from different brands and didn't see much of a difference in my sleep. Then Ned came out with a new and improved formulation of their Naked Magnesium Powder. This new formulation contains no sweeteners, no flavorings, and no gums. And since I already was a fan of their CBD, I decided to give their Naked Magnesium Powder a try. The very first night, I noticed a difference in my sleep. Not only did I fall asleep quicker, but I stayed asleep through the night. And the best part is that I didn't wake up groggy the next morning. So if you are looking for a magnesium supplement, may I strongly recommend Ned's Naked Magnesium Powder. I have full confidence this will benefit your sleep and ultimately your life. So become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code DIGEST. Go to helloned.com slash digest or enter code DIGEST at checkout. What are they using today? And uh, is Invisalign really taking over or are people still going the old school route with the braces? Right. Um, yeah, it's a good question. We'll talk about the, 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 well, the efficacy of Invisalign is excellent in most cases. Difficult cases still need to be wired up, as we, we say in the profession, uh, because more force has to be exerted. Um, but yeah, again, I'm, I'm not, I've done some orthodontic work. I've done a lot of Invisalign. I was a preferred provider for a long time. Uh, Invisalign headquarters was just down the street from me. I actually worked on a lot of their employees and engineers that worked on the algorithm. I actually helped them tweak that algorithm. So I, I love Invisalign. I think it's a great product as long as it's done. If aligner therapy is done in conjunction with the supervision uh, of of a dentist, it's a it's a it's a great product. Um, but and there's some worry about the material itself. I'm not too worried about that because uh, there are no glues involved. Um, it is medical grade, but braces. Uh, so here here's here's the story. Um, Orthodontics, and, and I'll say this, and I, and I know it upsets a lot of orthodontists, but to me, the way orthodontics has their system set up right now, it's a little bit of a racket. They they wait till all the adult teeth come in. Um, there is phase one, phase two therapies where they do a little work beforehand. But really, what orthodontists aren't doing is, yes, they're able to move the teeth, sometimes by removing teeth and to get them all into place, but we're not addressing the root cause of why we need orthodontics to begin with. And that can be addressed early on starting at around age two, the reason we get crowding and the reason we need an orthodontist and the reason we have wisdom teeth taken out is because there's no room for all these teeth as they erupt. They erupt in at different times. And as they erupt, the teeth that come in later just don't have room. 
And, and so why is that? Well, our lower face, our jaws are too small. They have, they are not developing to their full potential. So, so Invisalign is great. It's safer. I think it's kinder to the gums. Uh, I think people like wearing it. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's become comparable in cost to orthodontics, but to conventional orthodontics. Um, but what, is everyone a candidate? Uh, not everyone. Uh, although more and more that is changing because now we can put rubber bands on the aligners, but it's still, there's still a place for brackets. Uh, and those are in extreme cases. But my point is, is that those extreme cases wouldn't exist if we intervened earlier with expansion devices, like at age two or age four or age six, but waiting till all the adult teeth come in and then, you know, banding up the teeth and aggressively moving them. There are so many sequelae and side effects to that. And it really is not the proper way to do it. And what would be the appropriate age to bring a child for their first visit to the dentist to, you know, detect that? Right. Um, you mean to an orthodontist? Oh, excuse or, me. Yes. Or okay. Um, well, uh, so when I was practicing, and I know many other functional dentists would 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 do the same and are doing the same, they would want to see the child right away. Uh, they would want to see the child the newborn with mom because mom's having some dental issues perhaps because of the pregnancy. So I said, as soon as you can muster up the strength, you can breastfeed here in the operatory. We can interrupt the appointment if that's necessary, but as soon as possible, within weeks of the birth, I mean, I'm looking for tongue tie. Um, I mean, there, you don't need teeth to see your dentist uh, because there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. So if I see an issue with breastfeeding, tongue tie, I know where that's going. That's going towards uh, narrow arch, crowding, orthodontic work, sleep apnea, all these things that that happen as a result of, um, of, of this improper or lack of proper formation of the, of the jaw. Then we would intervene right away. Now, would I send that child to a orthodontist? Probably not right away, but we would address the breastfeeding issues, the tongue tie issues, uh, coach the parents on solid food on how to do that because chewing really helps that jaw develop. If the, if the, if the child, the infant is uh, mouth breathing that has an effect on facial development. If you grow up as a as a mouth breather, your face will be different. It'll be smaller. Your airway will be different. Your brain development will be different. You're more likely to get ADHD because because of your breathing patterns or the inability to breathe through your nose properly. So, so that can all be addressed early on, and then you can just lay out the plan and get most of this work done by age six. Well, will all will all doctors know what to do though? If you bring in a child, like how would you how would you you know navigate through that? And and this is why we. I mean, I've been talking about this for decades, and and I'm not the only dentist that's talking about this. But and but talking about it online has created a problem where patients now are aware of this and they're like, well, my dentist isn't talking this way, and I'm not getting the benefit of what I'm hearing on Ask the Dentist. So we've had to create a directory of dentists, and that's what we have now on our website. Um, it's easy to find on the website, and we've got dentists joining almost weekly. And these are functionally-minded dentists all over the world that would do this. But you're right. The answer to that is the majority of dentists with a great training and being great clinicians don't have this training. They get this after the dental curriculum. They get this in continuing education. They get this because they have a story or they have a need or they understand that something isn't quite right. Why are we doing all this work, expensive work that doesn't necessarily always work out well and doesn't address the root cause of a small airway? Why are we doing six to $10,000 worth of straightening teeth at age 12 when it really should be done at age two to four or six? And if you address all those things early on, there may not even be the need for braces or for wisdom teeth removal. Amazing. And I love that you give a great resource. And this is a national list. It's international, actually. Interna yeah, it's, an international it's based on list. location and 50, 100, 200 miles from where you live. And, uh, you know, we pay Google for that service. And we just want, we want people to find the right dentist. And you should see the response. I'm just, I get goosebumps just talking about it. People are like, thank you, thank you. And and I finally found someone that is not going to bombard me with fluoride and more my kids with fluoride and, and, and they're going to expand, you know, the maxilla and, and address the mouth breathing and send me to an appropriate, um, um, like-minded pediatric ear, nose and throat person. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, most, most dentists and physicians are gaslighting 
the parents, when they bring in their child and say, you know, my kid is tossing and turning, they're wetting their bed, their mouth is wide open, they got boogers coming out of their nose, they're not thriving, they're not doing well, they're not getting along with other kids in, in daycare or or preschool or or even high school. You know, they just they just say, don't worry, they'll grow out of it. That's one one thing they say, or or they just don't know what to say or do. Uh, and there are things you can do. So so uh, seeing a functional dentist is has a profound effect on your whole life and in overall health, not just dental health. For sure. And I love too, and you're completely right, where a functional dentist would have other connections to other functional medicine doctors. Uh, and I just love that everyone is helping everyone out. And now I want to talk about binkies just for a second here. Now our binkies hurting the development of our children's mouth and teeth. Yes. And every time I hear that word binky, I don't hear it too often. I love that term, by the way. Uh, we had a um, binky heaven in our practice. We had an attic above us, a little storage with drop down stairs. And it was, you know, the parents would come in and, and whisper to me before I went in to see the child to say, could you just get my kid to, you know, drop the the need for the binky? And And our, we finally developed a method where I realized that kids were attached to it emotionally. And and when the parent came up to the child and said, oh, listen, we're taking this away, it's kind of like taking away a blanket or a stuffy, you know, a stuffed animal. And so I realized that early on in my career. And so we created Binky Heaven and we would uh, take a Ziploc bag. We would take the, the Binky when the child said it was time. And this took time. We would say, next time you come in, maybe we can take it then. We'll, and we showed them Binky Heaven and we would label the Ziploc and we would you know, put the binkies in there. And sometimes it would be a sibling that would do that for a younger sibling. It was, it was hilarious. And then one day, and we, we, we would always say to the child and the parent, you know, if you want to come back one day and get your binky back, we will have it for you. And we were serious about that. One day, a 12-year-old asked where my binky was and I want it back. I'm not going to use it, obviously. She was 12 and in, you know, school. and But she wanted to put it on a school project, glue it onto a something and we and I was a little nervous and I, so I sent my assistant up there and she was confident she could find it and lo and behold about 3 minutes later she came back with her binky and oh, gave it back goodness. to her so so binkies are a real problem and for a short period of time perhaps but binkies can narrow your face they can affect your tongue position and your swallow reflex and which later will affect well not later but right away affects the development of the jaw which later affects the size of your airway predisposes you to sleep apnea as an adult uh, and other health issues, the comorbidities of of a small airway. So so binkies are not a good thing. And I some parents are like, damn it. I mean, I, I can't do it without the binky. And mm. and there are things. There's a great company out there called Easy Peasy. Uh, Easy Peasy. Uh, the letters? Her, yeah, I think her name Easy. is Dawn, the <laughs> okay. inventor. Uh, she's absolutely amazing. Uh one of my favorite people in in the field of oral health. And all she has done has invented and patented these very unique eating utensils, sippy cups, with straws, without, with very specific ergonomic features that allows the kid to either be weaned off a um a, a binky sooner or or prevent that from happening. So so I would tell parents that before binky time comes along, which is pre pretty early on, especially if you haven't breastfed, and breastfed children typically don't need binkies. So, what but about I realize, uh, yeah, bottle feeding is also a problem. I mean, the binky and the bottle nozzles, are, uh, the the tips are the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the action and the the sucking motion on something that doesn't flatten and elongate like mom's nipple. Uh, it's a it's a completely different muscle action. There are these wonderful videos of or animations of the difference between a baby sucking on a nipple and a baby sucking on mom's nipple. And the muscle action is different and the swallow reflex is different. It, it Children that have been breastfed can swallow very quickly. They can swallow large boluses of food. People, uh, kids that are being bottle fed. And we're not talking about the ingredients and the importance of mom's milk as opposed to you know, in industrial seed oil, mm -hmm. in a formula and fluoride and all that. We're just talking about the action of the delivery, the delivery of the of the of the sustenance, and and is it's a big difference. So so before, it, it, let's say you're you weren't able to breastfeed, and I realize that I, I'm not going to shame anyone. And I mean, my right. daughter, my wife, we, the, the, I've seen a lot of issues with breastfeeding. It's difficult for a lot of women. Um, I get that, but 
Having said that, if if you weren't able to breastfeed, and, and we need better nipples, and I'm actually working on that with a oh my goodness with a uh, actually with a high school student uh, that wants to make this her big uh, college project uh, on the East Coast. So there's there's got to be a better way to simulate mom's nipple with a bottle, right? I mean, come on, we, we've we've landed on the moon, we've driven a car on the moon, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, so. I guess my point is, is that if you know that those binky year, that months are coming, prepare for it. Uh, do your research. There's lots of research out there. A lot of these orthodontic, quote unquote, orthodontic nipples or binkies, uh, whether it's bottle feeding or the binky, uh, they're, they're not orthodontic. They're they're not safe. Uh, that claim has no basis. There are no studies that support that. So I would, you know, stick with carrot sticks, um, uh, you know, there are other uh, devices, the easy peasy system. Look at that. These are cups and straws that the child can interact with and use. So, I mean, for example, my second grandchild, Jack, I, I witnessed him um, at a very early age. I think it was eight or nine months. He's a big eater and drinker. Uh, he would pick up this silicone uh, uh, bottom weighted cup and drink from the lip. And in other words, there was no straw or cover on it. And, you know, and when you put it down, it would wobble, but it would stay upright. And occasionally he would spill it, but it was never a big deal. And so those kind of things can really help uh, to get off the bottle feeding, for example. Wow. Um, Did you mention, sorry, I have to backtrack. Did you mention giving a, a child a carrot? Absolutely. And at what age could you do that? That's difficult. Uh, I did a podcast with uh, an episode on that with the Easy Peasy uh, inventor, owner, and uh, we talked a lot about that. But that's a tough thing because I would never want a child to aspirate. But we do need to be feeding our children real food at an earlier age. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a whole group of moms out there that have perfected that. There are uh, user groups that that help. Um, but pureeing, uh, for example, um, we were up here with the grandchildren and with my oldest daughter and uh, son-in-law and we it, it was difficult to um you know because we were on the go kind of thing and we were skiing and so we were uh my daughter was showing me these very healthy packets of pureed food and you open it and the child can just uh suck it out or it can be put on a spoon uh, but then i looked at it and of course it was very healthy it was organic but there was no fiber in it and it was mostly water with some asparagus puree in it i mean that's not food our our kids mm -hmm. did not mm -hmm. grow up on that uh, our ancestors' kids didn't grow up on that. They were chewing on food. There was no, pro there were no blenders. Right. There was no processing of it. Plus, the nutrition's better. So, uh, avocado, one of my favorite foods for young children. We were feeding that to Jack, and he would literally. This is an eight-month-old, or a nine-month-old, or even a six-month-old. It depends. Um, with or without teeth. Uh, actually, I remember feeding him avocado. We would mash it up on the spoon. Mm -hmm. We would scoop it out of the avocado and just kind of take another spoon and and just thin it out a little bit. Shave it. And then and then yeah, and then feed it to him. Mm -hmm. And he literally would gum that stuff and he loved it. He would eat a whole avocado. And that's an unprocessed food. It's got lots of fat in it and nutrients and fiber. And and so yes, for all those moms that are buying this incredibly expensive pureed food, I mean, what's the concentration of the actual vegetable in there or the pureed meat or it's not a lot. I think exactly. meat, meat sticks are good. A Paleo Valley meat yeah. sticks, if they have teeth, start having them chew that. Of course, you have to be careful, but I've really never heard any horror stories about you know babies aspirating food uh, if it's done properly and with supervision. Um, but again, it's easier just to put them in front of puree or soft baby foods. Uh, For Gerber. sure. I mean, if if you are eating whatever you're eating, you can certainly easily put it in a blender and and give it to your baby as well. If you're eating chicken soup, put that chicken soup in a blender and definitely, you know, right. And also, done. the foods you eat. Again, we talked about digestion starting in the mouth. Um, the oral microbiome is exposed to these foods, and if they're exposed to a processed food. Uh, the oral microbiome runs amok. I mean, uh, it, it can become dysbiotic very quickly. And that's why a goldfish cracker affects the microbiome, the oral microbiome. It's contact, up, upon contact, um, because it's a fermentable carbohydrate. And all of a sudden, the bad bacteria that can ferment this or, or, or digest this fermentable carbohydrate, which is broken down and processed and, and made bioavailable, uh, so to speak, 
in all its glory, not right, um, all pure carbs, uh, then then you've changed that oral microbiome within 10 minutes. And then you have a dysbiotic oral microbiome that predisposes you to decay. So, but if you feed them an avocado, which they love, by the way, um, then not an issue ever, not even close. No change is you're actually feeding and nourishing the oral microbiome. The bugs see that and digest that food. So remember, whatever you're eating, the oral microbiome is watching and they're eating the same. So make sure you're feeding and nourishing the oral microbiome. A toothpaste, yeah. for example, they're knocking down the oral microbiome. You'd be surprised what's what's in these products because they're trying to disinfect the mouth. Do you want to disinfect the gut? Take antibiotics. Same thing right. in the mouth, right? It's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that you make a great point there. Now, is it a myth that a coffee and tea deteriorate your teeth? Um, well, it, there's some basis to that. Again, like all myths, uh, it, there's the short version that kind of gets passed on. And each time it gets passed on, it, it gets a little exaggerated. So, uh, so my wife loves coffee. I love iced tea in the morning. Um, I've probably had two already. A freshly brewed iced green tea, uh, a lot of catechins and phenols in it, and coffee has phenols. Coffee is good for you. There's lots of studies on that. Tea, I think, is actually a better product in terms of preventing cancer and its antioxidants and all that. But both have, uh, well, tea has tannins, uh, the phenols in coffee, they can dissolve to structure. So if you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, the first thing you eat or drink is a cup of coffee or apple cider vinegar for that matter, or lemon mm -hmm. juice or green tea, I would be very wary. And then people brush afterwards because of that myth. They've heard that, so they brush. And so you're literally brushing off the decalcified tooth surface from the acidity and the phenols and teas and coffees. So, so if you do it properly, no concern at all whatsoever. Um, you just have to be careful. Uh, Coca-Cola is worse, even Diet Coke. Diet Coke is probably the worst. The pH of some of those drinks are in the acid territory, uh, and that mm -hmm. will dissolve tooth structure. So, so if you have coffee, make sure you don't have a dry mouth in the morning. If you do, brush, maybe oil pull, floss a little bit, get everything cleaned up, hydrate, make sure that biofilm is there. That biofilm or the plaque layer, I mean, biofilm is the better term, if it's a healthy biofilm, that protects you against uh, external stimuli and and products like coffee and like tea. Mm -hmm. So, it, but don't drink coffee the first thing in the morning, especially if you have a dry mouth. Again, so you're, 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 the, the saliva isn't there to help stabilize the pH. The pH of coffee is is on the acidic side, so is tea. That's just going to wreak havoc again with the oral microbiome, but also direct contact with the enamel surface of the teeth. Okay, so you're saying do your oral hygiene first thing in the morning before you have your tea or coffee. Definitely, before breakfast. Oh, uh, okay, good, because that's exactly what I do. And people think I'm crazy. I'm like, I just, my mouth, I just want to... No, I used yeah. to always recommend brush after a meal, but that the science doesn't support that. You literally are scrubbing away tooth enamel, unless you've eaten an avocado. <laughs> but, but, but let's face it, you know, if you're at Starbucks, you're going to get a coffee, which has got pesticides in it and probably some dairy creamer, artificial dairy creamer in it. And then you're going to grab one of their sandwiches, which has bread in it, which sucks the minerals out of your teeth and, you know, the phytic acid thing. And, and then you've got, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it's, you've got industrial seed oils and the mayonnaise or the, 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 you know, the, yeah, all the sugar that they put on there the and sugar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're just, it's, you have to understand that you cannot get away with that. If you want to have fillings done, we're here for you. We'll take care mm -hmm. of you. If you want to get diabetes, We've got solutions for that, but it's all after the fact. You can prevent these diseases. You have to make better choices. And it really is up to the person. It's not up to the food industry. It's not up to, I mean, I, we can demonize them all you want. I do. It's not up to toothpaste uh, manufacturing. They mm -hmm. alter the oral microbiome. It's not up to the healthcare system. It's really a personal choice. And and yes, if you live in a food desert, I get that. Uh, there there are instances where it's difficult, but but... I'm sure you can pick up an avocado and fry an egg on top, you know, take out the pit, fry an egg on top of the avocado, throw it on there, put some Tabasco or some hot sauce on there. I'm sure we can do that in all parts of the country. I'm yeah, positive. I, mean, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, at, in, at the end of the day, it's our own self to blame if we know better. You're like, if you don't know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, first of all. 
right? But if you do know better and you have the option to make the choice, you have the option to skip the Starbucks, then we are really the ones to blame. And why are we buying these goldfish? You know, things like that. Yeah, if we stop buying goldfish, <laughs> these corporations will modify their behavior and they will alter their their uh, you know their their approach to. I mean, look at look at Cheerios, one of the worst foods on the planet, and it, it's touted to improve your heart health and because of the fiber and the oatmeal in it, and it's a GMO product. I mean. It's the worst thing for your teeth. Uh, it really is. And of course, there are worst examples of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really think it falls on us. We can we can create that change that's needed, but it's really up to us. It's it's based on what we buy and what we sure. consume. Sure. And, and also just educating ourselves, being open to learning and changing, you know. Now, er, earlier, like at the very beginning of the podcast, you had mentioned something about remineralizing. Now, how do we remineralize? Right. Um, Well, I mean, our bones are remineralizing in our bodies. I mean, that's the part of the calcium metabolism equation. I mean, if we need a big dose of calcium all of a sudden, uh, then our our hormones and our blood and that that system literally takes calcium out of the bones. To let's say we become calcium deficient, that's the first place it looks for. It pulls calcium out of our bones. Now, our teeth are not quite as dynamic. Um, and, and a lot of people say your teeth are alive. The enamel portion of the tooth is not alive, but it is electronegative. In other words, it can, it will lose calcium, uh, hydroxyapatite actually, which is a form of calcium. It's a, it's a grouping of calcium ions and it will be able to take up the hydroxyapatite that is in your saliva as it is in your blood. It's, it's in serum. It's in our bodily fluids. It's an extracellular fluid, intracellular fluid, calcium and magnesium and other things, of course. But these are the building blocks. Without magnesium, we're dead instantly. I mean, uh, we, we need these minerals. So, so, uh, you, if given the ideal diet and conditions and the biofilm is, is the right thickness and the right structure. Biofilm is a bunch of bacteria that have uh, collected on an inanimate object. And again, the only inanimate object that pokes out of the body and a fingernail doesn't count. That's a different situation. That's part of your skin. Uh, the only you know, bodily part that does that is the tooth. And that's, again, another reason why the mouth is so unique. We've got these inanimate objects, hard surfaces with no blood supply that are doing just fine on the outside, but they need to be remineralized. They need to be taken care of. So there's this equilibrium that goes on in the mouth all the time. It changes after a meal. It changes at night. It, 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 it's, it's, it's weighted on one end of the equilibrium over the other, depending on what the saliva is doing. If I'm talking a lot, for example, my mouth is drying out. Uh, if I've had a meal that's high in acid or high in carbohydrates that create acids because when the bacteria consume that fermentable carbohydrate, their excrement, what they produce from that metabolic reaction is an acid. It is a highly acidic uh, product that dissolves the calcium hydroxyapatite out of your teeth. But if I were to drink a lot of water, uh, eat a healthy food, for example, I'm able to remineralize that tooth. So so the a cavity essentially is a breakdown of that equilibrium where there's more remineralization going on in that tooth, in that area, in that pit or on the side of the tooth, than remineralization. It's it's a it's a it's like a seesaw, and the seesaw isn't balanced. So that equilibrium has to be monitored. It has to be taken care of, and that is really based on how you take care of or how you treat your oral microbiome. Mm. Uh, toothpaste, for example, or mouthwash. Let's take mouthwash disinfecting the mouth. You actually are going to increase your decay, your rate of cavities using a mouthwash. Yeah, yeah, it, I know it's just horrible. Plus it's gonna elevate your blood pressure because the oral microbiome is connected to nitric oxide production, which affects your blood pressure. We now have a study. So we've had that study for a long time, the mouthwash study, I think it was 2005. There are several, not just one. Um, there's a study now, what was it? It's the antithesis to that or the contrapoint to that. It's where if you eat the right foods and, oh, it's uh, tongue scraping can actually reduce your blood pressure because you're helping the oral microbiome, the bacteria on the back of the tongue, 
you're allowing them to be in a more commensal state of being, healthy state, and that's producing more nitric oxide, which lowers your blood pressure. So it's it's fascinating how we're learning more about the mouth and and how it affects systemic health. And again, it's always multifactorial and way more complicated than our our little brains can conceive because you know that's how we evolved. We we're a very complex organism that has so many compensatory and adaptive features. Uh, and I think I always like to say we're just beginning to misunderstand the human body. The blood pressure tip. I mean, I'm going to share that with some some personal friends. I'll get the study for you, so you have the study and you can share that. Yeah, yeah that's. I was amazing. so excited to see that. That just came out. So excited. Yeah. Well, that's just another testimony of how the oral microbiome does affect our entire body. Um, now, I also just had a question too about honey for a moment, because honey is known as an antibacterial. Like, if you get a cut, you can put it on the cut. Um, I've had instances where I've had mouth sores or even, you know, obviously it can help soothe a sore throat. So is honey a good antibacterial uh, component when you're talking about the mouth? Right. Well, I always get a little nervous. Oh, the answer is yes. I'm a big fan and of bee propolis, uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily honey. Honey in the diet, I guess is fine. Uh, it does, it is a different sugar. It's, um, it, it, it the body does react differently to honey, but I would be very careful of thinking of honey as a health food and sweetening your coffee and tea with it. And because then you are also uh, stimulating those those receptors for sweetness. And I, I get when I gave up sugar, I, my rule of thumb was anything more than three four grams per serving was a no no because then it tasted sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it tastes too sweet, I stay away because that will get me back into that that cycle of of wanting more sweet things. So. So, but however, uh, yes, on wounds and, and it there, when someone says bactericidal or antibacterial effect in the mouth, I always get very nervous. Uh, that's in a lot of marketing and all the oral care products, of course. And, and, and usually that nervousness or that wariness is, is well founded because that's not what you want to do in the mouth. However, uh, honey is probably not as strong of an antibacterial in the mouth. And I don't think it really, affects the oral microbiome that 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 much. However, the good news is that B. propolis actually probably nourishes and feeds the oral microbiome. So I use a B. propolis spray. I don't have it in my affiliate store yet. I've reached out to them. Oh. I want to get them on my podcast. I have it. Yeah, the beekeepers. I, I, the beekeepers natural, oh. yeah. So I love if it. If you want to spray that in your mouth when you wake yep. up in the morning in a dry mouth, uh, maybe, maybe hydrate first because the uptake and would be there's more of a wetting action in a in a uh, there's no wetting less of a wetting action in a dry mouth uh definitely i i use that probably two three times a day and then i don't, oh my goodness, I me don't too. <laughs> yeah and i don't drink water afterwards i want to have that i want it sitting in there for a while so i hope that answers your question there are components of honey that i think have a big place in in oral health and actually bolster the oral microbiome and i'm just getting on this bandwagon now. So I'll have more information later. I'll have the affiliate for I, I research brands already. I always do that first. They're my favorite um, based on their business yeah. practices. Um, well, I have their propolis um, honey as well. Like it's the bee propolis mixture honey. And also I, I think the dose is very important to point out to people because in today's day and age, when you tell someone add some honey to this or that, they'll do a big spoon of it. Like for me, I'll do half a teaspoon, you know, like, so really, yeah, for sure. Right. And there's always a a dose or an amount and that's hard to calculate. It depends on what you're dealing with, whether it's fluoride or a, in something you ingest or a, a food or fiber or, I mean, it, it depends on how it's absorbed. Calculating that dose is so important, but there's typically a safe dose for almost anything. I mean, that's how amazing the human body is. It, even if it's something that's poisonous, the, the body can can take a certain amount of it. Like arsenic. Arsenic's in our drinking water. It's in bottled water. And we can take a certain amount. But if you reach a certain amount, then of course, it's a po- it's a deadly poison. And of course, it, it depends on the health of the individual as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, okay, so for time's sake, last question. Now, what are many dentists doing wrong today? Or how can, I guess, how can we 
we already answered how you can find a, a natural dentist, but I guess what are most dentists doing wrong or what do you wish they were paying more attention to? Right. That's a really good question. I don't really don't remember being asked that question. Um, you know, I don't want to pick on the profession. I'm very, very proud of the profession. I think of course. American dentistry is uh, is is absolutely amazing. The education, the degree of what we can do. It's kind of like Western medicine. You know, when you walk into the emergency room um, with something, you've 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 you know broken a bone or smashed your face or or you've got heart failure. I mean, Amer- uh, that kind of situation is amazing, and that's essentially how I see dentistry. We are the emergency room. You've got a cavity, you come in. I mean, obviously, we want to focus on the preventative care, and we're we're amazing at being able to fix things in the mouth. I mean, you should see the gum grafts and the and the implants that we're able to do and the extractions and 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 uh, uh, oral uh, infections that get into this space that go goes right to the heart and the surgeries and the things we can do in the mouth are are absolutely amazing it, compared to even 30 40 years ago look at invisalign look at cosmetic veneers uh uh you know if you are in a car accident you want to have a nice smile a nice smile is so important and cosmetic dentistry is 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 phenomenal so it can change your life um of course it's oversold in in some cases uh uh, but I think we've talked about it a little bit, like orthodontics. Um, there are a lot of things that dentistry is doing wrong. We're not working upstream in 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 the process. In other words, we're treating symptoms too much, and we're great at it. Um, but we don't focus on things on truly preventative things, like again, what I mentioned earlier with the orthodontics, getting that early referral, seeing having your child being have your child uh, seen by a dentist, get that referral early to the pediatric uh, ENT, and if there are issues and breathing issues, because the, the child the child's face is ninety percent done by age seven or eight or nine. It depends on who you talk to and gender and 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 hormonal load and in milk and dairy and all that so so um and pl- and exposure to plastics so so and again orthodontics really works at nine and and after and so that's a big mistake so that's an example of not of treating symptoms and again western medicine is guilty of this as well that is the functional approach is trying to change that we want to uh look way upstream and understand and learn from previous experience of how we don't even need to have the patient experience those symptoms. And, and so that would be facial development. That would also be uh, diet and counseling and, and all of that. So, so I wish we could expand kind of our approach to that, but there are problems with that. For example, we don't get paid to do that. Uh, a physician gets his his or her 15 minutes with the patient. Um, and then the easy solution is to give a pill uh, to prescribe medication. Um, so so there are a lot of things that, that hamper us on that. And uh, for example, I don't think dentists should be recommending fluoride. It's, it's any dentist that's doing that now is going to be very embarrassed because soon we will be taking fluoride out of our water. We have studies that that, uh, for example, the National Toxicity Board program, NTP, uh, was sitting on a study, uh, on a sy- systematic review or meta-study of all the studies out there that are are demonstrating damage to the fetal brain, the infant brain. So if you're a pregnant woman, if you're pregnant and you're drinking fluoridated water, you are damaging your child's brain even though they haven't been born yet. And then of course, as after they're born and they're drinking fluoride, as that brain is developing, we we have been able to show in these studies from all over the world and the NTP now, and this report was suppressed for a year, but it's now out. The ADA wanted, the American Dental Association wanted the NTP to change their uh, view of this report, but essentially the NTP has agreed with the majority, I think 90% of these studies saying that fluoride is damaging and lowering the IQ of our children. So, so dentistry has got to get a lot of things right. And for any dentist that's recommending fluoride, you are on the wrong side of history. Crazy, crazy, Mark. Well, 
thank you so much for your time, your knowledge, and sharing everything with my listeners. I'm going to make sure that we get your, your website, you know, in the today's show links and all your contact information so people can check you out and look into you and what you offer um, further. But thank you again. And uh, I can't wait for people to listen. Oh, thank you. And I really appreciate your interest in oral health. Uh, we don't get enough of that. Everyone's worried about, you know, staying thin and being fit and, and, uh, but oral health is a big part of overall health, big, the big picture. 100% agree. Thanks for listening to this episode of digest this. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McComb. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. Looking to build a more robust foundation in your health and well-being? From the producer of Digest This comes one of the most popular alternative health shows on Apple Podcasts, The Dr. Tina Show. Dr. Tina Moore is a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine. The show features exclusive interviews with experts such as Sean Stevenson, Mike Mutzel, Mark Groves, and even solo episodes covering metabolic health, pharmaceuticals, chronic diseases, long hauler syndrome, and pain management. Dr. Tina delivers the information in a no-nonsense, real-world style, and she has the science to back it up. The Dr. Tina Show is edgy, entertaining, and informative. Every episode will leave you with a new pearl of health wisdom to expand your knowledge base. When you're empowered, you can do better for yourself, your family, and your community. Resilience is the name of the game, and Dr. Tina is here to guide you on your way. Listen to The Dr. Tina Show today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resident Media.